T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is high. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. So let's get to know about some of these top three picks in the draft. Joining us right now on the Wester Hotline is Steve Cornianos from thedraftanalyst.com. He's on Twitter, at the Draft Analyst. Steve, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks again for taking the time this morning, to, or this afternoon, I should say, to join us here. Yeah, likewise, Brain. Always a pleasure to be on. So before I get into the NHL draft real quick, just want to get your thoughts on the Sabres and, and just kind of how this, this season has played out overall for them, if you have any thoughts on, on what's kind of played out for Buffalo. Well, I'm not going to mince words. They've played a lot better without Jack Eichel, Taylor Hall, and the coach being fired. So I don't know. I think when you have younger kids in the lineup, uh, it's made them a tougher team to play against. They're more competitive. They're faster. They're, they're more physical. Uh, I don't know if it's uh, from a, a competitiveness standpoint where these kids are competing for jobs and uh, you kind of have uh, get the benefit from that. Or really, it is an addition by subtraction situation. But uh, either way, it's, a, it's been a tale of two seasons. And I, I love what I've been seeing from them. Uh, in this second half. And I'm not saying that it's because of Jack Eichel or because of Kruger or because of Taylor Hall, uh, but it, it's just it's just the reality. Uh, they're a tougher team to play against, and the one thing you have to think about is that there's going to be more pressure on them for next season. Uh, I know they're going to go back to the, the newer divisions or the older divisions for that matter, so they'll, they'll have, I think, more balance uh, within the Atlantic than, let's say, this year where you have five teams playing almost 600 hockey. And I think the schedule had something to do with the Sabres not playing well uh, this year, at least in the beginning. But uh, I like what I saw. They're playing the young kids, a lot of them. Uh, Casey Middlestat, Henry Yokoharu, uh, Jacob Bryson, they, they all seem to play better uh, when the changes were made. And uh, so I, I won't necessarily pencil them in for stardom. But uh, I, I kind of like what I see. But at the same time, we kind of always talk about this, where it seems like they have a good closeout to the season and you get really uh, excited for the next season. And then it's, uh, you know, uh, Washington's repeat. <laughs> so we'll have to just wait and see. But uh, everything is going to be predicated on what Jack, Jack Eichel decides or what the, the team decides to do with him. So uh, we'll just have to wait and see. That's very true. Uh, Steve, uh, before we dive into what you know the, the Sabres could do with the number one pick, who are some of the prospects that are of, of interest or best fit for the Sabres, how tough has this season been for your sake? Because you're a guy that goes out and you, you, know, you get a, a wide look at all these prospects and you do a really nice detailed job on your website with looking at each prospect and giving your true and honest thoughts. But this season with, with the COVID world, how difficult has it been for you to kind of look at some of these prospects, except especially in some of the leagues like the Ontario Hockey League and the Western Hockey League where some of these kids only got a handful of games in or, I mean, quite frankly, some of them didn't even play at all. It's really not fair to the Ontario kids uh, and to a degree the, the Western and uh, Quebec League kids because they just they either had half seasons or they had 
reduced schedules or they just didn't play at all in the case of the OHL. And the OHL traditionally has made up the, the majority of, of a given draft year, right? So they'll, they'll comprise about anywhere from like 35 to 40 percent of it. Uh, that's, it's gone down in the last couple of years. But to answer your question, it, it's been more difficult because of the you don't want to get locked into recency bias. You don't want to get fixated on the kids who are playing and have always played full season, specifically the kids in Europe and say, well, I'm just going to rank this European kid higher because he's played 60 games, and this Ontario kid, I've only seen him play five, so let me rank the kid who played in 60 games higher than, than the Ontario kid, when the reality is that you really can't tell. Well, you're looking on, you're trying to find uh, NHL potential, and uh, it's, it's quite possible that a kid that only played five, ten, five games or zero games this year from Ontario will turn out to be a better NHL player than a kid from Europe or, let's say, the USHL that got a full season. So very challenging uh, I think this is the first time where I'm really going to rely on, on stats to try to be a, like a tiebreaker or be a decisive factor in where I rank kids. Normally I don't. I go by the eye test, but uh, I'm going by roll-on teams, even if it has to go back to last year with the Ontario kids. Their role on the team were they top scores, top power play, penalty killers, uh, five-on-five production, all types of things I'm looking into to, to help me put together these rankings, which uh, have been very difficult really from the beginning. Steve Cornianos from the DraftAnalyst.com joining us right now on the Western Hotline talking a little bit about the 2021 NHL Draft coming up in July. Steve, with the Sabres, before we get into some of these prospects, how do you feel this team, or, or what do you think this team needs to address heading in with one of the top three picks, whether it's number one, number two, number three? Should they look maybe more towards center? Should they look at the defensive group first? I know that the, the top of this draft is is quite heavy with defensemen, but how do you feel that the Sabres should look to maybe address some of their needs at, through the draft this year? Well, I think that if you look at it, like the NHL isn't like the NFL where like, you, know, you, want, you could address the, the need immediately and then the following season or the ensuing season, that player's in your lineup and he's, he's going to help out or he's gonna, you, know, you have to wait for him to develop. Uh, even though the kids in the NHL now are making it faster than we've seen in the past, uh, if I'm going to look at a need standpoint though with the Sabres, I've got to look at that the right side of the, on the defense. Because the, the centers, okay, you got Eichel, Middlestat, Cousins, uh, and then even if you want to say Reinhardt, and you could just change one of those to wing. So it looks like you're okay in that regard. Uh, right wing, you know, you, you went right, right wing with your first two picks last year. They're both very uh, explosive slash high-scoring winger types in Quinn and Paterka. Uh, and so maybe left wing, all right, a little thin. Uh, but I would say that the right defense, even with Yokohar, you he having, you know, well, I guess a, a stronger second half of the season this year, and he's not all that old. Uh, but the left side of the defense looks looks fine with Samuelson and Johnson and, of course, Deline. So I, I would pick either the left wing or the right defense, and they are going to be players there that can address that. With the left wing, you got, you have the Swedish kid Eklund, who's a fantastic playmaker, a dynamic, exciting guy. you got the kid from Michigan, Kent Johnson, same thing, maybe not as quick, but uh, very strong, sturdy, uh, sniper type. And then on the right defense, you got Brant Clark. I mean, if you're watching this tournament that just ended – uh, he's a kid that played for Barry in the OHL. He, obviously, they shut the season down, so he went to Slovakia to play. Uh, he said it was a tough decision, but here's a 17-year-old kid going to Slovakia to play in a men's league, and he did really well there. Came back to join Team Canada for this tournament. was one of the best defensemen at the uh, competition. So I think he's going to be a top three to top five pick. So if you're going just for need, those are the three players that I would look at. Uh, but really, you know, there's really no difference between one and ten in this draft. It's just a matter of preference. It's not like last year when you knew Lafreniere was number one or 18 when you knew Deleen was number one. 
This one is a little bit of ambiguity. So uh, I, even if the Sabres lose the lottery, I don't think it's that big of a deal. They're going to probably still get the player that they want because there's just not a lot of separation between all the kids ranked in, let's say, the top 10 to 15. Right. So if they are, let's say they do win the number one overall pick and somebody really likes one of those top prospects and they want to get that guy above, say, you know, a team that's at number two or number three, would this year be a a year where you could easily see the Sabres or any team that wins the number one pick for that matter be willing to trade out of that pick and move down the board a little bit just because the top 10 of this draft is so closely contested? Yes, absolutely. More so than, than, than any other year. Maybe 2017, I will, re- recent drafts at least, I would say more so than any year, maybe including 2017, where if the Sabres, let's just say for argument's sake, that they think that Luke Hughes, the defenseman from the NTDP, is, is, a, is a carbon copy of his brother Quinn. Even though he's a lefty, he's going to be a, a big-time point producer franchise type in the NHL. Uh, and uh, you know, let's say the Sabres don't win the lottery, whether they win it or not, they, they have him number one on their board then there's always the chance that through their contacts or whatever investigations that they do, that they find out that the other teams are not going to be taking them. Then, of course, even with the 10 picks that they have this year, of course, uh, I think it's six in the top 100, it doesn't hurt to trade down. I just don't see it as being something really catastrophic that the fans and even the ownership and the scouting staff will look back when they're like, oh, man, we should have never traded down because it's that kind of a draft. And we've seen the NFL a lot. We've seen the, in the NBA as, as well. Uh, we haven't seen it in hockey in quite some time. I think the last time it happened was uh, way back in like 2003 or four, uh, actually 2003. So uh, uh, I think the chances are higher, but more than likely, teams are usually happy with having the pick that they have, and they'll just they'll, they'll use it on the player that they love and who's at the top of their board. Steve, looking at your rankings and looking at your recent mock draft that you have at thedraftanalyst.com, the Sabres have the number one overall pick. You didn't do a draft lottery sort of fun shuffle thing that you could do on some of these websites, but with the number one pick, you have Matt Beneers from Michigan going to the Sabres at number one. What would make him the fit for the Sabres with the first overall pick? Now, and now just to say that, remember, they're fine at center. So it's not really a need thing. It's mm-hmm. going to be a best player available type deal. And, and I think that if the Sabres consider themselves a team that is easy to play against and that it wasn't until the second half of the season where it seemed like we started seeing a change where they became uh, a tougher out and you're seeing guys like Dylan Cousins play hard and bust his rump and, and, and setting the right example, and that kind of, that's kind of contagious throughout the lineup. If you want to keep that up, if you want to maintain that kind of culture in your team, uh, within your team and organization, then Matt Beniers absolutely, without a doubt, is the number one player in this draft. I mean, he is a I – mean, if you saw the World Juniors, you watched him play in Michigan, you know, he started out as the fourth-line center on arguably one of the deepest teams in the history of college hockey with all these first-round picks that they had. He started out as a fourth-line center. Within a week, he was the number two center uh, where he was putting up a point of game, killing penalties, uh, playing on the power play, uh, the puck protection, impossible to move off the puck. And really, I've never seen any quit in this kid. And he's also a very smart kid, by the way. Uh, He could have went to Harvard, and he actually had to turn that down because they shut down the season and went to Michigan instead. So uh, lead-by-example type. He's got a great attitude, comes from a good family. So, uh, you know, I hear this thing that, oh, well, he doesn't have a high ceiling. He's a second-line center, which is ridiculous because his skill set is similar to Jonathan Taves and Matt Shifley, uh, uh, Mark Shifley, and they're both – uh, you know, uh, elite NHL players uh, in their prime. So I think that Beniers would be a great pick. Not saying he has to be the pick, but you, if you're looking at a, a culture type of acquisition or addition, 
Uh, he's the one for me, easily. So Mappineers is is number one. Owen Power is an interesting one because a lot of people have him as sort of the consensus number one this year, again, in a draft class where there's no real player that stands out from one another in the group, unlike past years, like Alexi Lafreniere last year, Rasmus Dahlin in 2018, Jack Hughes in 2019. Looking at this year's class, what are your thoughts on Owen Power as a possible option for the Sabres on that left side of the defense? Uh, for another kid from Michigan where Michigan has got a lot of uh, – recognition in this year's draft class yeah they're going to probably have three top 10 picks guaranteed top 10 maybe even three top five picks which is uh, almost uh, you know very rare to see in the nhl uh, i love power i think he's a throwback uh, he's, he's six foot six and he's a graceful skater playmaker incredibly smart uh very difficult to, to knock off the puck he just has he has the instincts of a forward and also the the smarts of a defenseman so it's not like he's always up ice and takes a lot of risks it seems like every decision he makes is, is strategic and calculated and a very soft hand. He's got a hard shot. So you could almost say like he's a fourth forward out there, but he's so smart that he knows when it's time to cut, to cut back and, and maybe uh, you know, re- retreat back to his own end and cover up uh, for a potential counterattack. So uh, I think he was the freshman, uh, one of the top freshmen in, in college hockey this year. Uh, he got some Hobie Baker recognition. Uh, I don't know how much longer he'll stay in college. Same with Beneers, I, I think – from a maturity standpoint, they're ready for the NHL, absolutely, even physically as well. Uh, but, again, he plays the left side, uh, so you have to wonder, uh, you know, do, do you uh, welcome that kind of logjam and then maybe push a guy like uh, Ryan Johnson or Matias Samuelson uh, to the right side, uh, have him play on their offside? I don't know. But, um, uh, you know, I, I don't know if, if he's necessarily uh, required uh, for the Sabres organization right now because they do have a lot of quality defense prospects, but, We've seen teams in the past, like the Rangers, uh, where they will just load up on these elite defense prospects and just let them duke it out until uh, you know, the, the cream rises to the top. So I wouldn't have a problem with him picking it, uh, being uh, selected by the Sabres. Uh, he's definitely worthy of it. Uh, and I do see him being a point producer at the NHL level. I just think that uh, forward might make more sense if you miss out on a guy like Grant Clark who plays that right side. All right. So you, one of the, the, the positional needs that you said the Sabres could look to address in this draft, whether you're picking one, two, or three, is the left wing. There's a couple of names on the left side of the forward group that are very intriguing towards the top ten of the draft in William Eklund and Kent Johnson. What are your thoughts on them? Uh, and is there anyone else in on the left side or, or anyone that can play right wing, left wing, have that nice versatility uh, that would be of interest for the Sabres no matter where they're picking in this draft? Uh, well, I mean, with Eklund, what made him special was that he was, uh, he was a rookie on a competitive team in, in Sweden. We all know that the Sabres love drafting out of Sweden, so they've probably seen plenty of him. Uh, he had such a great start, and he was able to ride it through the entire season. I mean, this guy was getting basically top six minutes, and he was scoring at a clip. I, I want to say that it, w- it was one of the highest of all time uh, for 18-under uh, plays in the Swedish Hockey League. I mean, he was a, he's a goal scorer. He's a playmaker. He's quick. He's fast. He's, just, he's got a great attitude. And he's tough, too. He's not a big guy. He's about 5'10", five, 5'11", five, a buck 75. But he's, he's, got a, he's, got, he's abrasive. He's got a, like, a toughness about him. And you'll see him mixing up with opponents after the whistle. And remember, the Swedish Hockey League, they're adults. So he's playing against guys uh, sometimes 10, 50 years older than he was. And he more than held his own. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know if the Sabres definitely feel like they, they want uh, uh, you know, a player like that because of the, the, the type of roster they constructed. But then again, again, he's a tough kid, and he does more than just score. So uh, he wouldn't be a bad option for them. 
And with Ken Johnson, I mean, this kid is, is, is the flashy guy. He's the, the Michigan lacrosse gold type, through the leg, dangles. He's got a powerful shot. Also a throwback in the sense that he, he loves using the slap shot. You really see guys from the wing using the slap shot anymore, and he's got a powerful one. So a very smart guy, not the kind of kid that relies on others to do all the work for him. And what I like about Johnson as well as Eklund is that they both – uh, they try hard off the puck. They're forechecking. They're, they're getting involved. Not overly physical, but they, they, they care a lot, and they're not just on the periphery waiting for someone to give them the puck. Uh, as far as other options later on down, I don't know if he'll last in the first round, but there's a kid I love that plays for the Omaha, uh, uh, the Omaha team in the USHL. His name's Ayrton Martino, and he's from Ontario. He's committed to Clarkson, which is odd for a big-time prospect to be uh, committed to a program like Clarkson because uh, you know, uh, all the other biggest schools didn't recruit him. Uh, and I think they're regretting that because he's one of the best players in the USHL this year. Mm. And again, hardworking type, great hands, kills penalties, one of the best breakaway threats in the, in the uh, draft class. So, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of wings available for the Sabres. They have two second-round picks. They have two third-round picks. Uh, and so they'll be able to, to pick and choose how they go. But uh, if they're looking to address those two need positions, right, left wing and right defense, they'll be able to do it in this draft, no problem at all. Anyone in this draft class, I know we've mentioned a lot of names already, but anyone that could surprise you going as a top five, top ten pick? Because, you know, there are some players in the past that have, you know, surprised. Like a Mort Sider, for example, a couple of years ago was a name that a lot of people saw maybe in the 10-15 range, but he happens to go six to Detroit, which took a lot of people by surprise. But with, with the way he's performed now in the Swedish Hockey League, uh, there's no surprise that he went that high. But is there anyone in this draft class that could be a surprise to kind of go a little higher than maybe expected at first? Yeah, I, there's a couple. There's this Russian kid, Spechkov, and, and I know that the, the Sabres aren't really big on drafting Russian kids for whatever reason, uh, but Fedor Spechkov is a two-way center who plays in, in the Russian Junior League, and he was so good there that he, they promoted him to the adult age VHL, and he was pretty good there as well. And he actually was Russia's top-line center at this recent U18 tournament. Uh, this kid, I, I mean, I, you look at all the top 200-foot centers in the game right now, He's got bits and pieces of all of them. You want to say Patrice Bergeron or Jonathan Tays. I mean, he's that kind of a leader. Uh, and I think that the playmaking and the, and the point producing is very underrated. So he could be a potential top five or top ten pick. Uh, the other kid I like a lot, and he's been ranked pretty high in some places, but uh, is Mason McTavish. Now, he's not related to Craig McTavish, the old helpless NHL uh, guy that played for Edmonton. Uh, but he, he is a tough, mean uh, winger with a nasty release. I mean, he could also play center as well. But I just love these kids that really compete from whistle to whistle. I'm, I'm kind of graduated away from the ridiculous high-end skill and the spin moves and the flash. And I, and I like to focus on the kids that could impact the game when they're not getting 10 scoring chances a night. And Mason McTavish is one of those. And I could see him, uh, you know, just uh, blow the doors off of a lot of kids at whatever combine or workout that they might have. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, his performance at this last under-18 tournament was outstanding. So he's a kid to keep an eye on, no doubt. So I, I last thing I want to ask you here, Steve, and, and I have to ask this because he's he's come up on the on the show a couple of times uh, this week during the morning show uh, with us on WGR. But the the upcoming draft class in 2022 and 2023, the 2023 draft class could arguably be uh, the next McDavid Eichel, the next Ovechkin Malkin sort of situation with Connor Bedard and Matt Vay Mitchkov. Just what do we have to look forward with these two? They just played against each other in the gold medal game at the under-18 tournament in Frisco, Texas. Just, just how good are both of these players? 
Yeah, the hype is real. You know, you, you, if, if anyone wants to try to sharpshoot their point production, which was ridiculous for their ages. I mean, they're playing, you know, they're 15, 16 years old, uh, uh, and they're playing against guys who are, let's say, you know, 19, 20, 21, and they just smashed records. I mean, I know that the, WH, uh, the WHL season isn't a full one, but when Bedard left, he was at two points a game as a 15-year-old kid. Uh, so, and what we saw in Frisco was just ridiculous. I mean, and it's not just that they don't just score. They do a lot more than that. And what I love the fact is the goalies knew it was coming, the defensemen knew it was coming, and there was nothing they could do about it. There's just no way to prepare for them. There's no way to uh, any type of zone scheme or man-to-man coverage or a system to employ to stop them. They were scoring at will, and they, they, boy, they make you pay for mistakes. Uh, so I'm glad I got a chance to see them live uh, for the first time. It, it was really a treat to watch, and I, I just can't believe that they're still only you know, 15, 16 years old. So, uh, yeah, it'll be like an Ovechkin Malkin situation, but with all due respect to Evgeny Malkin, uh, you know, I think this might be more of like an Ovechkin-Crosby uh, kind of draft or like a McDavid-Crosby kind wow. of a draft. I mean, that's how good these kids are. Uh, two special, special talents. It's just uh, I think the world of them, and I'm uh, – <laughs> now's the time to stock up on, on 2023 draft picks, uh, without a doubt. Yeah. <laughs> try, to, try to worm your way to that top three. Right. Right, and and that's not even to to gloss over the 2022 draft class as well, just because that class is even good as well. But we'll talk about that some other time. Uh, be sure to follow Steve on Twitter at the Draft Analyst. You can find all of his work there. He's got a lot of coverage on uh, not only this draft class but all the draft classes coming up and going forward. Steve, again, I really appreciate the time that you took with us today to join us. All the best wishes to you, not only uh, the rest of this season but also heading into the future, and we'll talk plenty heading in down the road here.